Genesis chapter 31. And let me just say again, God bless you for being here. I know for some it was a long drive and a lot of rain we've had for three or four days, but God bless you for your faithfulness. It's encouraging to other people who are here um, and myself as well. Genesis 31, verse 1, And he heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers, and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Father, thank you for your word tonight, and again, thank you for these people. I pray for those, Lord, that are, are still on the roads. Give them safety, Father, but now we ask that you will open our hearts to your word. And in opening our hearts, we will receive it and be changed by it as looking into a mirror from glory to glory. Bless your people tonight to that end, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are at long last, after some 20 years of fleeing into Padanaram, Jacob hears the call from God to return back to his own home. It's been a long, very difficult, very hard 20 years. And yeah, Jacob has learned a lot about human nature during this time. He's learned a lot about himself and certainly a lot about God. And now, having gathered together his wives and his children and all of his possessions, he sneaks out. He sneaks out of the camp of Laban and travels about 100 miles in 10 days. Unfortunately, there's one problem. Jacob has a Laban in his life. And if there's one thing that's common to all of the Labans that's ever lived in this world, it is that Laban is the center of his own universe. So, with God now multiplying Jacob's uh, labors and with Jacob enjoying the fruits of his very hard work, it's time now for him to leave. And the sons of Laban said, wah, wah, wah. They're taking away all the good flocks, and, but it was the deal. God blessed him for that, and they were whining so that the ancient bent towards class envy, which is, which is wickedness, to be honest. And Laban's carnal heart, that begins to, real, uh, begins to rear its head. In fact, there's something else that's very interesting about Laban in this vein that's way down in verse 51. I want you to read it with me because it's typical of people you're going to cross uh, paths with from time to time. Verse 51, And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, behold this pillar, which I have cast betwixt me and thee. What? Really? You realize, now this is a great sentiment, Laban, except you didn't cast that pillar. Laban didn't set up that memorial, Jacob did. And in fact, if you read the entire portion sometime later tonight, you'll find that just as it is always with these types of people, which you have in your life or may have had in your life, Laban co-opted Jacob's pillar, Jacob's memorial. He just went out and claimed it as his own and pretended to take the high road. So again, having been divinely blessed by God, God tells Jacob it's time to go back. And it is here, now knowing the will of God, when God's will is revealed to this man once again, that the true nature of Laban and all of the Labans you'll find in ministry or in family or in life, the true nature of Laban is fleshed out. Chapter 31, notice down, first of all, look at verse 17. Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels, and he carried away all his cattle and all his goods, which we had gotten. he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten in Padanaram. 
for to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images, that means the idols, the gods, so you know the kind of man he was, that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, in that he told him not that he had fled. So he fled with all that he had. And he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. And he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. You see, folks, Jacob's leaving the cattle he had earned that God blessed him with. Basically, you can call it his portfolio, his bank account. He took all of that, all of his family, and he's gone. But this man is Laban. Obviously, Laban is not going to stand for this. For one thing, somebody has stolen his little idols from his house. And for another, he still considers Jacob's stuff to be his stuff. All of Jacob's stuff he still considers to be his own stuff, as you'll see in a moment. So he gathers a posse. And you know, after he's got a three-day head start, and he catches him. Do you see how forceful he is? He hunts Jacob down. He accuses Jacob of thievery and demands to have his idols back. Jacob, of course, knows nothing about this. His wife did it secretly. He's innocent of the charge. He's not aware that Rachel had taken those false gods, so he allows Laban. He says, look, you think I've got your stuff? Search everything if you need to. Chapter 31, go down to verse 25. Then Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount. And Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead, and Laban said to Jacob, What hast thou done, that thou hast stolen away unawares to me? You sneaked out and carried away my daughters as captives taken with the sword. Can I ask you a question? Is that true? No, that's not true. He doesn't have his sword on Rachel's throat or Leah's throat or the grandkids. No, Jacob is leaving because God told him to leave. Furthermore, he's over 80 years of age, and these are his wives. These are his children, not, quote, Laban's daughters. But note this carefully. People like Laban always invent their own truth. And with their own truth, they try to impose guilt on other people. And they try to excuse their own evil behavior with their own made-up stories. The modern word, again, we talked about last week, is gaslighting making you feel like you're the one who's wrong. And so Laban's about to teach a master class in that very thing. Verse 27, Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me, and didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth and with songs and tabret and with harp, and hast not suffered or allowed me to kiss my sons and my daughters, my sons, my daughters, Thou hast now done foolishly in so doing. You know, he says, Jacob, you're the fool. You've done foolishly. I would have given you a going away celebration. There would have been a band with harps, songs, a huge buffet. You didn't let me kiss my, my children, my kids and grandkids goodbye. Really? Knowing Laban, does anybody believe this? That we had a going away party? Here's Laban chasing Jacob's family down like a hunter. It is hostile. 
It is threatening. It is scary for everybody in that family. Look at verse 29. He says, It is in the power of my hand, Jacob, to do you hurt. You know what that's called? That's a threat. He's threatening him. I'm going to remind you something. That proves he's not concerned about his grandkids. If he were, he would not have stolen from their dad. Meaning stolen for 20 years from them, their inheritance, their own family. He's using his daughters. He doesn't really want to, quote, kiss them. But that's controllers. Controllers and narcissists are great storytellers, but their stories are always full of holes. They seem convincing. They feel convincing because they're good. Very good at telling these false narratives. And the guilt usually works. In fact, it worked on Jacob a lot. But not this time. This time, Jacob is about to explode. And let me just say that the good news for this man, Jacob, is that God is using all of this, as you'll see. God is using all of this to teach him one of the single greatest, most important lessons in all of the Christian life. You know what it is? You cannot put your trust in man. The Bible says it. It's the middle verse of the Bible. that You do not trust man. And especially, you cannot, you must not trust the Labans of this world. Do you know why lawyers rightly say, get it in writing? Get it in writing. Get it in writing. Get a contract. You know why they say that? Because of the Labans of this world. Look at verse 33. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, and again, he's looking for these idols, and into Leah's tent, and into two maidservants' tents, but he found them not. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered to Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them, and Laban searched all the tent, but found them not. Now again, folks, this is hostile. See it for what it is. This is aggressive. He's going through his own daughter's stuff. He's violating them. And he's using them. But oh, he loves them. Why could you take them away from me? I would have given you a party and I would have hugged them and kissed them. Knowing human nature, Jacob's watching all of this. He still is innocent. He doesn't know anything about these little idols. He's watching Laban pillage through his personal stuff and finding nothing. How do you suppose he's feeling at this moment? You've probably sensed people on the highway once in a while pulled off to the side of the road and, and they're unloading their trunk and opening their suitcases and all that. And without if it's without justification, it can be extremely irritating. People complain about the TSA, you know, at the airport and going through your stuff. Well, multiply that a thousand times. You're going to get the kind of animus that Jacob is starting to feel towards his uncle, who for 20 years has done this kind of thing over and over and over again. His thumb on him, controlling everything about him, including his family, under God. So what happens? Verse 36. And Jacob was wroth, full of wrath. He was angry. He was wroth and chode with Laban. That means argued with him. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? He recognized, look how fast you traveled just to catch us. Whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, what hast thou found of all thy household stuff? See it here before my brethren and thy brethren that they may judge betwixt us both. These, this 20 years 
Have I been with thee? Thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was born of beasts I brought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. Of my hand thou didst require it. He was saying, look, you made me pay for all the losses. You made me pay for your losses. This is not a good guy. Not a good father or father-in-law. Whether it be stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus, I was in the day of the drought consumed me. And the frost by night and my sheep departed from mine eyes. Mine died. Thus have I been 20 years in thy house. I serve thee 14 years for thy two daughters. You can see this now. They're standing on this dusty road. He's letting them have it. He's given the whole, the whole litany of what he's gone through. For thy two daughters and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely thou hast sent me away now empty. You know what he says? He says, you're lying. You wouldn't have given me a party. You would have sent me away with nothing if it weren't for the God of Abraham. God hath seen, and I want you to see this word, maybe even circle it. God hath seen mine affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesternight. Wow. Did we say that Jacob endured a rough 20 years at Padanaram? For all those years, Jacob has held in this anger and this resentment and this rage, and now his patience is completely exhausted so that grudges that he had been nursing for years and years are spilling out. And you know something you'll find out? Laban cannot, and he will not answer these accusations because he knows they're true. And typically of a man like this, he resorts to insulting Insulting Jacob's integrity and then pretending again to take the high ground, which is even just more gaslighting. Verse 43. And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children my children. Are they his? See, this is why it's important to study the foundations. Because if you want to know if they're his... You go back to Genesis 2.24 in the foundations. For this cause shall a man leave his father. Those are not his children. This is not his daughters. Not in the way he thinks. And these are my cattle. Are they his? No, remember they broke a deal. If God blesses me, I'll take the worst of the flock. Whatever it is, you take the best. But he says they're mine. I told you, he says everything is Jacob's is still mine. This is a controller. And all that thou hast, look at it, and all that thou hast is mine. And what can I do this day unto these my daughters or unto their children which they have borne? A lot of times you will see in marriage announcements a certain word. And that word is mizpah. And I'm going to show you why and show you how it's kind of misused. Verse 44, now therefore come thou, let us make a covenant. I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and they made an heap. And they did eat there upon the heap. And Laban called it Jaeger. There's a long name. I'm not even going to try. But Jacob called it Gilead. 
And Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and thee this day. Therefore was the name of it called Gilead and, and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. If thou shalt afflict my daughter, or thou shalt take other wives beside my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is witness betwixt me and thee. He says, I've got standards. You know, I gave you all my daughters, all four, so you can't have any more. He's still trying to control his entire future. But again, that word Mizpah that's used a lot of times in wedding announcements and also verse 49, the Lord watch between me and thee, the sentiment is good. But the occasion that is taken from is no sweet agreement between kindred hearts. This memorial was a warning more, and it was a threat. When Laban agrees not to steal from Jacob anymore at this moment, it's really saying I'm agreeing not to steal from you so I can go steal from other people. So both of these men depart with their grievances with great distrust for one another. In other words, what they did is what you have to do with people like this. They set boundaries. This is it. Jacob said, no more. You can't do this. You can't do this. I won't do this. We are finished, and they are finished. Look at verse 55. And early in the morning, Laban rose up and kissed his sons and his daughters. Of course he did, because he said he wanted to. And he blessed them, and Laban departed and returned unto his place. He didn't hug Jacob, of course. And when he departs and returns to his place, he passes out of Jacob's life and out of the word of God. It's a whole new chapter. You ever go from one place in your life where you've, it was just everything was the same, 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 same. In, J- in Jacob's case, the same affliction over and over for 20 years in this case and all of a sudden it's like uh uh-oh what do I do next what's next in my life this is Jacob and in this moment it is at this very moment as Laban disappears over the distant horizon his controller for so very long that Jacob realizes a whole new page in his life is about to turn the problem is that on this new page he discovers that a blot has bleeded through and that from a past page in his life and that blot says one word Esau chapter 32 verse 1 And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Manam. And Jacob sent messengers before to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. You know, just as surely, follow this carefully, just as surely as Bethel that we studied a few weeks ago, 20 years before this, had taken care of Jacob's Jacob's beliefs, Bethel was where Jacob found salvation. Mahanaim and Jabok is where Jacob would learn sanctification. And that will take care of his behavior. We just read that Jacob saw, quote, the angels of God, right? I want to say a word about that. The Bible says that he saw them. But you understand that the angels had been there all along. As a matter of fact, all during that 20 years of labor and toil and hardship and being cheated, all that time that Jacob called in one word affliction, that entire time he never saw them. But they were there. If you've ever read John Wesley's journal, you know that for 52 years, for 52 years that faithful servant rode on horseback from revival to revival. 
Back in the day when, when so-called highways were extremely dangerous, stagecoaches would always travel with an armed guard because highwaymen lurked in the, in the hedgerows and behind bushes. And of course, it was most dangerous for anyone who was a lone traveler, which Wesley always was. On one and only one occasion, Wesley was riding along a lowly and lonely stretch of road. And he noticed two shadowy forms up ahead, and he saw them immediately disappear into the woods on either side. He slowed his horse down. His heart was in his throat, if you read Wesley's journal. And yet he refused to turn back. He had a meeting. With any human help on that deserted trail, Wesley prayed. And he said that as soon as he whispered, Amen, he heard hoofbeats right behind him and called up next to him. John Wesley gave this traveler a cheery greeting, and the two of them rode together all the way past the points of danger. And as they did, Wesley turned to introduce himself further to his companion, and the mysterious rider was gone. Vanished, he said. And Wesley said that he knows that he simply got a glimpse in 52 years of what had always been there. His angels camp around thee, the Bible says in Psalms. And Jacob calls this place Maenaim. If you look in your margin, you'll notice that Maenaim means the two hosts. And you know what the two hosts are? Number one, there is the visible host. That's Jacob and his, his sizable family. And number two, the invisible host were the angels of God. So that God is only reminding Jacob of what he promised way back at Bethel. He is reminding Jacob of what we should know. That after 20 long years, he's still with him. And that Jacob is in God's will in returning back to Canaan. Verse 2 of chapter 32 and when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of the place Manaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded the messengers, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, My lord, thy servant. See the language. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. In other words, Jacob's afraid. This man is worried about his brother Esau because after 20 years, he may be full. 20 years, he may be full of bitterness. Don't forget he stole his birthright. And Esau may want his revenge now. And as someone once said long ago, revenge is a dish best served cold. So he says in very humble, expressive language, speak, speak to my Lord Esau. The last line of verse 5, Ask my Lord if I found grace in thy sight. He calls himself, quote, Thy servant Jacob. Because you know Proverbs, one of the greatest verses in all the Proverbs for God's people, if they would just obey this, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Try it sometime. Somebody accosts you with their road rage or in the grocery store because you took their parking spot or you do whatever, instead of saying, well, so, instead of doing that, Obey Proverbs and, and see what a soft answer does. It turns away wrath. So Jacob's hoping that. There's another proverb, though, and that one says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. That's what he's worried about. 
Verse 6, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau. And also, he cometh to meet thee with four hundred men. That doesn't sound good. That's four platoons. Four large platoons. Eight small platoons. And I am sure that Jacob quizzed his messengers thoroughly. How did he look? Was he happy to see you, hear from me? Was he angry? What was his reaction? Tell me exactly what he said. Well, I don't know. He had 400 men with him to meet you. And they could say, Jacob, he seemed very happy. But Jacob would think, I knew it. He wants to get his revenge. Verse 7, And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands. You see, Pastor, has Jacob already forgotten about the angel host? Has he already forgotten about the covenant? He can't die. Has he already forgotten about the promises of God? Well, apparently so. In the exact same way that we forget. If tomorrow there's an attack on this country, and it's even worse than 9-11 was, if tomorrow the president comes up before the nation and says there's a, a financial crisis as never seen before, even the Great Depression that our country is going to go through, and there's going to be deprivation everywhere, if tomorrow something like that happens, are we going to forget that quick the promises of God? Because they're there, or do we only believe them when all is well, when the finances are good, when the cabinet is full. There's an irony in this, by the way, the Holy Spirit gives us. Look again at verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. It says that he, look at, look at this, it says that he divides his people into two. This is a tactical move. And it highlights the fact that at Maonaim, Jacob had already had two hosts. You see the juxtaposition here? You see what the Holy Spirit, he had two hosts already. And how quickly he forgot that he didn't need to do this. That that other host that nobody sees is there because of God's will. And then Jacob does something that's very wise. It's something that I've done many, many times in the 36 years since I've pastored here and the many years before as an assistant pastor. It's very wise. Verse 9, anybody in this room can do it. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, you're the Lord, you're the Lord who said to me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy, the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan. All I had was a stick, and now I am become two bands. By the way, two things Jacob learned in this sojourn, two words in verse 10, mercy and truth. Now keep reading, verse 11. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And look at this again. He's repeating it. And thou saidst. You said this, Lord. 
And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. In other words, and I love this. Do you realize that every single great Old Testament saint of God at one time or another prayed to God to remind him of his promises? Lord, you said this. Lord, here it is. You promised this. Thou saidst. And of course, God doesn't need to be reminded. And God doesn't need to be convinced. But Jacob did. Every time a prophet or a saint of God pointed to the promise of God and said, you said, God was pleased. Unfortunately, Jacob being Jacob, his prayer and God's promises were not enough. He's, he's still a work in progress. Because now he's going to set about pacifying Esau with a very expensive and unnecessary gift. Look at verse 13. And he lodged there the same night and took of that which came to his hand, a present for Esau his brother. Two hundred she-goats and twenty he-goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, verse 17. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee and asketh thee, saying, What art thou? Whose art thou? And whither goest thou? And whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, These be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my Lord Esau, and behold, also he is behind us. He's back here. A coward. Way back there. Take this good stuff. Verse 20, And say ye moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me. And afterward I will see his face, per adventure he will accept of me. You know, it's pretty obvious, beloved, that Jacob is still trusting a lot. In his own ability to connive, his own ability to convince, because he was, he was the deceiver. It is also obvious that Jacob is still not fully trusting in the promises of God. He didn't need to do any of this. At all. And it is here at Jabbok that Jacob is going to come face to face with God and learn the greatest lesson of all. At Bethel he saw a ladder at Jabbok, he's going to see the Lord. At Bethel, he became a believing man. At this place, he's going to become a broken man. At Bethel, he is saved. At Jabbok, he is sanctified. He left Bethel with a spring in his step. He's going to leave Jabbok with a limp in his walk. At Bethel, he died to sin, but here he's going to die to self. So that in every way, Jacob's experiences are an illustration of what you're supposed to go through in me. They are an illustration of a believer's spiritual growth described clearly in the book of Romans. This night in Jabbok is a reminder of God's patient, long-suffering, merciful dealing with His children. Verse 22, and we're almost done. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone. Imagine this for a moment. It's nighttime. It's dark. You know, it's like, you know, we have light pollution in every city in America and every town, but you know, if you've ever been out west or somewhere where there's no light pollution and it's nighttime, it's, it's dark. The Bible says he's all alone. He's right on the border of his brother's land. The last time he left him, full of rage and wanted to kill him. 
suddenly hears a noise in the darkness and a man is approaching. And predictably in that darkness, they begin to wrestle. Verse 24, And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Pastor, why is this wrestling match predictable? For one thing, this is Jacob. You may remember back in chapter 25, his mother Rebecca said that Jacob struggled with Esau even in the womb. And then even at birth, he's holding on to his, his heel. I don't know if Jacob thought this man in that darkness was Esau or one of his 400 men. But I do know this, by daybreak, he's convinced it wasn't a man at all. Verse 25, And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. That tells you, and Jacob, this wasn't just a man. Because with a simple touch, he stopped this whole match. In other words, just like, you know, when I'm wrestling with KK, I can prolong that match as long as I want. I can let her prevail if I want. But I can also end it in a moment if I want, instantly. So now, Jacob cannot wrestle, but he grabs a hold of the angel and he begs for a blessing. Verse 26, and he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. By the way, there's another reason why we know Jacob realized this was no mortal. He wanted the angel to bless him. And bless him he does. Verse 27, and he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. He wanted him to tell him his name. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Now follow this carefully. This wasn't a man. This wasn't even just an angel. This, as Hosea chapter 12 makes perfectly clear, was the angel of the Lord. This was the Lord Jesus himself. This is the same Lord who also changed the names of the disciples. He won't tell Jacob his name. But he does change Jacob's name as a reminder that his heart was changing as well. From deceiver, which is what Jacob means, supplanter, to prince with God which was what the name Israel means. Abraham's grandson, who had learned mercy and truth from the God of Abraham, was now learning character and a changed life. Verse 31, And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Imagine him limping to his family that day, and they say, Jacob, what happened to you? Why are you limping? You can tell if someone has a normal walk and now they're limping. He says, I came face to face with God. And I will never walk the same again. And also I have a new name. From now on you will call me Israel. You see, beloved, God made a promise way back in the Garden of Eden. And then to Noah. And then to Abraham. And then to Isaac. And now to Jacob. It's all a part of the very same promise. And you can see that God is keeping that promise all the way down to the way that a man walks with a limp in his step. 
before long, a man named Moses will also see God and his face will tell others that he had been with God. In other words, look, what does all that mean, Pastor? It means that God is working. And by the way, he's not working in just some detached way far off from eternity. But right down to the very heart and life of man. Which is precisely what we would expect when we realize that this plan of redemption, after all, is for man. It was for you. This whole plan, this whole thing, this whole story we've been studying is just exactly for you of reconciliation with God. He is moving to a time and a place where, as he says in his word, he will tabernacle, he will dwell among men, humble himself as a man, suffer as a man, so that man can be redeemed back to God. Right? And tonight, I'm glad that God patiently leads and guides and protects and even disciples us and disciplines us as his own children in order to bring us all ever closer to his glory and his will. Look, do you know why God put a host of angels around Jacob? Not so you'd have a nice story for Sunday school for little kids. I hope you teach it to Sunday school to little kids, but that's not why it's here. It's not as a pretty little coloring book. God put that angel host around Jacob because Satan can read. And Satan can hear. He knows, and he's known all along, the promises of God. He knows that the Savior is in Jacob's line. And he's out to stop it. By the way, he's still out to stop it. This is the big picture with the name Israel. It doesn't make any logical sense. This tiny dot on a map is always, always in the headlines. Always seeking to be completely destroyed. Israel. That's the big picture. But the more personal picture is just as real. God's will for Jacob was return home. Satan fought God's will by using one of his own children, Laban, who demanded that Jacob follow him. You follow me, not what God has told you to do. The controlling, toxic Labans of the world always care more about their will than they do about God's will. Which means sometimes you have to separate. Sometimes you have to put up boundaries. The good news is if you're a child of the living God tonight, no matter where you are, Bethel, Haran, Padanaram, Mount Gilead, Mizpah, Maonaim, Edom, Canaan, Isaac's house, or Laban's house, no matter where you are, God says, I am with thee and will keep thee and will bring thee until the day that I have kept all my word. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word tonight. I pray, Father, that we will learn to trust. We will learn from the mistakes of those who didn't and those who did. And we will learn to trust you no matter what happens tomorrow in the news or next year. Or what happens in our own lives tomorrow or next year. And in trusting you, Father, we will do your will. Knowing that you are with us and that you will bring to pass all the good word of your promise. And we praise you for that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.